Hey everyone, I'm no Einstein, but if you're asking if I'll drive through green lights hoping my car remains unbroken as I contemplate man's search for meaning, uh, yes please. Today's episode is my hilarious and powerful list of the best and worst biographies I've ever read. And this is The Book Pile. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and this is my story. That's how I imagine my autobiography will start. I've also considered writing a mysterious nonfiction book about a kid who grows up and wins some of life's battles and loses some others. And then at the end, after 700 pages, the very last line is, and that little boy was me. Boom. Surprise autobiography. I've invented a new genre. So as per our new usual, uh, David is out this week, but back next week. And you're not going to want to miss next week's episode. It'll be our 149th official episode. So obviously, we're celebrating that milestone, that great round number. And we have a really big announcement. Not like the way that Dave recently said that he had a big announcement and then just revealed that he would be skipping every other episode. I mean an actual good news announcement that I am very excited for. Also, next week we'll be covering Murder on the Orient Express, so it's just going to be a guaranteed blast. And today is too. I had that written in all caps. I hope you could feel it. I've ranked my favorite biographies from worst to best, and keeping it fun all along the way. And fun fact... I've read a lot of biographies, but I haven't read most of them. There are a lot out there because people love talking about themselves. And also when movie stars fade, they love to write about themselves to remind us of themselves. So I'm going to list off my top 12, only a couple by celebrities in my defense. And as I said, the last time I ranked books, I actually hate the whole idea of ranking systems for most things. This list is just an excuse to talk about books. Its order would obviously vary from person to person. My biggest hope is that you discover at least one new book that sounds interesting to you. Speaking of which, if you do, Please feel free to swipe through the episode description on the podcast app you're currently using and click the Amazon link to purchase the book or free audiobook version from Audible for new subscribers. Your purchase of these books supports the podcast and your healthy reading habit. And now, without further ado, here are the top 12 biographies I've read. Well, bottom three and top nine if we're getting technical. So... Starting at the bottom of the list, number 12 is my journal. There just aren't any surprises, you know? Of course, you don't know because I burned it. Coming in at second bottom of the list at number 11 is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, founder of Nike. His book, I just didn't find it terribly interesting or helpful. Kind of like my journal except that it's about a guy who made a shoe and then $40 billion. But as far as building that empire, he wasn't even an exemplary businessman. He just, he told some big lies to get his way and hired some really great people. So there aren't even really any decent entrepreneurial lessons you get from the book other than those two things. But you might like it. I don't know if you're a huge fan of Nike, but don't care about the story of how they hired Michael Jordan because Phil Knight doesn't talk about it at all, which kind of sucked because it was the main reason I picked up the book in the first place. So 
My advice, if you see this book, is to swoosh past it. Next up at number 10 is Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. This book, it, it isn't as wise as it wants to be, but it was entertaining and not always in the way it means to be. Also, I was trying to figure out the difference between an autobiography and a memoir, and I think the difference is that most memoirs are written by people who have never written anything in their life. This book is a memoir. It sounds like I'm being harsh. Listen, there really are some fantastic stories in this one. He's lived a life 10 times more interesting than mine. I'm just saying I don't think you can tell those stories and then retroactively add that it was by this internal whiskey wisdom that every success happened. Like, I still don't even know what a green light is. At one point, he describes it as when you set the coffee in the filter at night so that in the morning it's ready to go. But at another point, he gets a movie role just because he showed up with a baseball jersey on and happens to look like a handsome baseball player. And then getting that job was also a green light. So to me, one of those things sounds like something I have control over. And the other one sounds like I have to be born looking like a handsome baseball player. Anyway, if anything, it's a very relaxing lesson on Audible just by nature of his voice. It's almost like a story on a meditation app, except that this meditation has a chapter about how his brother hit his dad in the head with a two by four because that's how they were raised. Green lights. So that brings us to number nine, Walter Isaacson's biography of Einstein or Einstein, as it's pronounced in Austria, probably. So this is where my list starts to turn around because I actually did love learning about Einstein's upbringing and his practice of using creativity and imagination for real-world problem-solving. However, this book also falls in that don't-meet-your-hero genre when it comes to learning about like more of his personal life, his relationships, and his family, like how he didn't pay much attention to his kids, but he did pay a lot of attention to his cousin. Also, there's so much talk of physics that I honestly just didn't understand, so that's probably on me. It's not really written in a way for the layperson. Uh, he doesn't Neil deGrasse Tyson anything, which I kind of respect, but it was a bit unexpected because Walter Isaacson is also the same guy who wrote Steve Jobs' biography, but in that book, he doesn't spend 75 pages on just the complex theories of wearing a black turtleneck. Anyway, don't worry. Isaacson gets a higher score with another book, uh, much higher on this list. All right, coming in at number eight is On Writing by Stephen King. So aside from elements of style, this is the writing book that I go back to the most, but the first third of it is an autobiography. In fact, it's the first 100 pages exactly, which is how long I wish Green Lights was. And again, just like McConaughey, this part of the book might only be interesting to you if you're already a fan of Stephen King. If not, but you're still a writer, feel free to buy this book anyway and just skip right to page 101 if you're okay with a great writing book that also has a sprinkling of F-bombs. Uh, from King's story, you find that whatever you may have suspected about him, he didn't grow up like a sociopath torturing animals. He was just a little boy who enjoyed scary movies 
and his mother changed his life when he was six. She saw him copying comic book pages and told him that he should write his own stories. So he buckled down and wrote this four-page story in pencil about a rabbit who helps people named Mr. Magic Trick. I know, classic king right from the beginning. So he shows the story to his mother who reads it and then tells him that it is good enough to be in a book. And Stephen King writes, quote, Nothing anyone has said to me since has made me feel any happier. And from that Magic Bunny story, we got a shape-shifting clown who eats kids in the sewer. I'm not actually sure about that. I've never read it. But the point is, King is such a skilled novelist and writer that, for me, it was a delight to read this story that he wrote about his own life. At number seven is Steve Jobs. So if you've read the book, The Sociopath Next Door, then you probably also had the experience, like me, of examining everyone you've ever met or heard of and suspecting half of them of being sociopaths. And yes, for me, Steve Jobs checks a lot of the boxes. Controlling, highly competitive, zero empathy. He'd scream and fire someone in one moment and then minutes later cry in a board meeting. However, I am recording this on an Apple MacBook with my iPhone in my pocket, so I think the moral of the story is that it's okay to have a sociopath running things as long as I don't have to be the one working for them and I can still buy their products. No, but I was fascinated by his story. Adopted, uh, recognizing the technical brilliance of his teenage friend Steve Wozniak, dropping out of college after a semester because he knew it wasn't for him, and over and over again, just relentless when it came to pushing intuitive design. And there are so many examples in his story, starting with the user-friendly Star Trek arcade game made by one of his first employers, Atari. The Star Trek game, the only directions on it were insert coin and avoid Klingons, which is how I try and live my life, you know? In another example, he basically stole Xerox's original idea of having a computer mouse to control an arrow on the personal computer screen, um, which I don't condone this practice, but it's an example of how deeply he regarded intuitiveness to the point of stealing it and selling it for millions of dollars. And then, of course, later, um, he and John Ive developing the ultimate user-friendly experience of touchscreen phones. And obviously, I'm barely skimming the surface of these books because I haven't even told the story of how he would wash his bare feet in the toilets at work. Anyway, ranked next on the list at number six is someone who has hardly ever washed her feet in the toilet. It's Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler, of course, the star of Parks and Rec, Hall of Famer from SNL. This is a really funny book written by such a hardworking person, and you can feel it in her writing. It's efficient, it's bold, and I would say it's a rags-to-riches tale, but unlike a couple of the other biographies I've mentioned already, it's less of the story of someone who came from nothing and built a trillion-dollar industry as a cutthroat and more someone who came from nothing and then just worked hard at what she loved to do until she found success that enabled her to do even more of what she loved to do, which I think is a better story. I love her concise, bubbly way of writing and an example of one of the many short, deep, funny stories that she shares. She says that the day before her first baby was due, she found out on the set of Saturday Night Live that Saturday that her old Italian doctor had died in his sleep. And she says of John Hamm, who was hosting that week, quote, 
John Hamm held me by the shoulders and looked at me and said, I know this is very sad, but this is a really important show for me, so I'm going to need you to get your crap together. Now, rolling in at fifth place is A History of the Fireside by Gary Larson. In this special edition compilation of the Farside comic strip, Gary Larson opens up with an autobiography of sorts. Uh, I say of sorts because it's much shorter than even Stephen King's, but also much of it seems to be made up, obviously for fun. And it is fun. And I would also argue how much of autobiographies and memoirs are made up anyway, because how would we prove the memory of someone else's childhood? So in a way... Larson's autobiography might be just as accurate as Matthew McConaughey's. It's just easier to doubt whether Gary Larson's father actually dangled him over the crocodile pen at the zoo. But <laughs> but now that I say it out loud, if anyone would do that, it probably would have been Matthew McConaughey's dad. Anyways, if you're a fan of The Far Side, this book is an absolute treasure. After the brief story of his life up to cartooning, the rest of the book has in-depth commentary on panels of his that have evolved before publishing or were banned or just straight up misunderstood. He spends a whole page just on his infamous cow tools. Landing at number four on the list is Groucho and Me by Groucho Marx, or rather Julius Marx. For anyone who thinks that a mother actually named her child Groucho. Dave and I haven't done an episode on this book yet, but it's this high up on my list simply because Groucho Marx was the first comedian who really stuck out to me as a kid. I was a young child in the 80s when most people had to rent movies from Blockbuster, but if your family didn't even have the budget for that, you got your movies from the library, and eventually, you saw all of the movies from your library. So one day, after having seen all ten of our library's PG movies a hundred times, I picked a film called Duck Soup, which is a Marx Brothers movie from 1933. It's a comedy, but it's odd because nothing funny actually happens for the first full eight minutes. But it was 1989 when I first watched it, and we had attention spans back then. So when finally Groucho Marx enters the room, the first thing he does is splay out a deck of cards and asks a woman to pick a card, any card. She grabs one and says, what do I do now? And he says, anything you want. I've got 51 left. And I've been a fan ever since. Every line of his was a joke. I'd never seen a movie like that where the main character was only funny the entire time. And again, it's not an amazing film. It's not even a good story, but it didn't matter to me because Groucho stole every scene with his relentless one-liners. And so I enjoyed his autobiography as well. He came up in a poor Jewish family in Manhattan. He performed on vaudeville, moved on to Broadway, and then to the silver screen with some of the first comedy films with sound ever made, like their film Coconuts, which I, I don't recommend. <laughs> But it literally came out just months after The Jazz Singer, which I hear is a classic from 100-year-old people. All right, coming in at number three, another comedy legend from a slightly more recent era of talking films. It's Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. Uh, she has a similar trajectory as Amy Poehler, strong work ethic, years of improv training in Chicago, then on to SNL sitcoms and movies. Facebook, however, gets a little deeper into subjects such as superficiality, stereotypical expectations, balancing work and family, among others. But the whole time she still manages to inject humor into even the most serious topics. It's a 
effortless juggling act that for me makes for a delightfully compelling read. And I think that's the first time I've said the word juggling without making fun of someone. Fun fact, Tina Fey's birth name is Elizabeth Stamatina, Stamatina Fey. But as we all know, most Stamatinas prefer to go as either Tina or Stammy. Anyway, this book is full of so much wisdom. Some of my favorite parts being about not worrying about being perfect, either in your own appearance or even just whatever creative endeavor you're endeavoring in. That's not a direct quote, but she's a better writer than I am. Another fun fact, our Bossy Pants podcast episode was our number one most downloaded episode for the first year of the podcast. And while it's such an early episode that I'm not totally proud of it now, because I feel like we've improved a lot since then, it does have some fun moments in it. And on it, I also share the true story of when I auditioned for Saturday Night Live there at 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Didn't make it. Next, there goes my hero. In second place is Dave Grohl's autobiography, The Storyteller. I went into this book already rooting for it because I'm such a Foo Fighters fan, and it didn't disappoint. Again, if you're not a fan of his, I can't promise you'll find this book as compelling as I did. But I do think that objectively, his story is still a shining example of a shining person who has lived through multiple personal tragedies, all the while making music the biggest part of his life and having an adventure of a life because of it. And even with all the horror that he's been through, he says, quote, Music has always represented light and life to me. And the book is also just full of crazy stories. He only had one drum lesson in his whole life, and it was then that he discovered that he had been holding the sticks backwards. He thought the fat part would make a louder sound on the drums. One time he wrote and recorded a song with Paul McCartney in two hours, and later that year it won a Grammy. Another time while on tour in Australia, he flew 20 hours home just to take his daughter to a daddy-daughter dance, and then afterwards flew right back. And among so many other stories, once during a guitar solo, he fell 12 feet off a concert arena stage, broke his leg, and then played the rest of the show sitting down while a doctor held it in place, which might be the most rock and roll story ever. Sure makes me feel lame about canceling one of my shows just because I had my appendix out. And coming in at number one, and not just to make myself sound smart, it's the renaissance man of all renaissance men, James Franco. <laughs> no. no, it's Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson. See, I told you he'd redeem himself from his Einstein math snoozer book. For me, Da Vinci's story of all of these is the most inspiring, beautiful, even climactic, the way that Isaacson has put it all together. So Isaacson combed through historical documents, including gaining access to thousands of original notebook pages from Da Vinci. And sidebar, Dave, if you're listening... I know that technically calling him just Da Vinci is like introducing someone like, hey, this is my friend. His name is from Chicago. Anyway, what Isaacson was able to curate and set in a cohesive narrative is absolutely incredible, especially considering he had to constantly be solving Da Vinci's codes. 
No, but he did have to do a lot of holding up mirrors to the documents because the Da Vinci would often write backwards, not because of the Illuminati, just because he was left-handed and it helped him to not blot his ink. He was a bit of a perfectionist. One of the reasons, by the way, uh, why he worked on the Mona Lisa for 14 years. By the way, if Dan Brown had just told the truth, then his novel would have been way less entertaining for sure, right? Like if he were accurate about how Da Vinci's real code was that he was a procrastinator who didn't want smudges. In this book, we learn that Leonardo da Vinci was relentlessly curious, and just for his own sake, never for the adoration or fame, he was impulsive on what he decided to pursue next, but then obsessed over each decided new pursuit, which is why he went, and not necessarily in this order, from drawing to astronomy to painting to geometry to sculpting to autopsies to scientific theory, to designing war machines. Essentially, he actually did in real life what sounds like an insomniac surfing the internet. And as we learn about his discoveries and his new skill sets, everything culminates, except for the war machines part, in one of the final chapters, which is all about just the Mona Lisa. And it is an incredible experience to go through hundreds of pages of this book, learning of this lifetime of making discoveries and polishing skills, to then truly appreciate the many degrees of context as to why she is an incredible piece of art, from the symbology to the brushstrokes to the realism with which he was able to paint her face because of his years of studying literal human bone and muscle structure, all of which informs the skin laying on on top of it. So if I can recommend at least one book on this whole list, it is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, such an admirable billionaire jogger. No, it's obviously this book, Leonardo da Vinci. All right, time for a rapid fire segment of random facts. So when I Googled best autobiographies, just to try and remember the ones that I'd read but forgotten to write down, the first list that Google came up with and not an actual order of value, but it's funnier to think that the Google machine did this on purpose. It had ranked as the last two on the bottom of its list as Mein Kampf. <laughs> and then below that, Spare by Prince Harry. Uh, speaking of Da Vinci, uh, Leonardo was my favorite Ninja Turtle growing up, and people still make fun of me for it because Leonardo was no one's favorite. But you know what? Let's all make fun of those adults for still bullying other adults about which cartoon turtle they liked. Uh, speaking of physics, I consider myself an inch above the layperson in the field of physics because, don't mean to flex, but 24 years ago I got an associate's degree in physics. Which means I took five physics courses over the course of two whole years in college. And finally, here are some honorable mentions that didn't make it into my list. Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. Actually, this also could have been the title to Frankenstein. This is a must if you're a fan of stand-up comedy. And then Me by Elton John, Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand and Malcolm X. Each of these probably deserve a place in my top 12. The only reason they're not is because each of them contains some amount of graphic content and devastating emotional heaviness that I won't be reading them a second time, but to me they were still all worth the first read. Also, I texted Dave, and at first he said, Leave me alone, I hate you, it's not my week for the podcast, or at least that's what I got from the tone of it. 
But then I asked him if he'd just send his favorite biographies. And so here they are. Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, The Year of Magical Thinking, The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, oh, some overlap here, Becoming Michelle Obama, and Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which I can't believe could be that good since the guy couldn't even spell his own last name correctly. Anyway, I would also like to hear what your favorite biography is. So tune in next week for our big announcement or tune in now if you're listening to this past August 21st, because part of it is that we are going to have a great new easy option for Bookpile fans to chat with us and with each other. Finally, if any of the books today sounded appealing to you, check out the description to this podcast in the app you're currently listening to it on and click on that book's link to buy to read or listen to. And thanks for listening to me. I bet when his dad got hit in the head, he saw some green lights.